1: Welcome back to the Book Riot podcast, original recipe Book Riot podcast. After several <laughs> weeks of spicy chicken, you know this is what everyone does now. Uh, thanks to Sharifa and Jen for for sitting in um, for both of us at various times. Really good stuff. I listened to you and Jen talk about Workman for a little while. Mm. Um, it, I don't think we need to get into there. I thought I thought it was it's really interesting and and like and like you guys, I think said explicitly, or hinted, at it, it's not a surprise after the several dominoes fell and the simon schuster getting acquired and then the hmh trade getting acquired like what's left um it kind of is interesting to see where those dominoes fall so i I recommend if you haven't go check those out there i guess uh points of order before we get into the show we're hiring agains because there's multiple (laughs) multiple positions (laughs) uh we'll link in the show notes um one is for a full stack front and back end web engineer. If you know what that means, you know what it means. And if you don't, it doesn't matter to you. But there's a link in the show notes there as well. <laughs>
2: uh, Step the other, one of the screening process. Yeah.
1: Do you know what the job <laughs> is? Uh, the, the second one maybe is requires a little more explanation because this could be used way. It's an AdOps Associate. And this is one where you're, you would be helping get the ads on the show, traffic to a traffic to clients, reporting to our clients, like helping us make the ads pieces of what we do, um, better, uh, and, you know, making sure the, the, the trains run on time. Um, that's a more junior position. And I think if you're a generally competent person at all, you should at least look at the job descriptions There's some other things that may or may not, you know, make it seem like it is interesting for you to, um, fulfill, but go check those out. Um, would be excited to get as many good applications as we can
2: there. yeah for just some details about them in case you're wondering if it mm. applies to you um, both of these positions have the option to work out of our offices in either portland oregon or vancouver british columbia and we also have work from home jurisdictions in illinois new york north carolina pennsylvania and virginia um, so if you are in one of those places or you know someone who is and might be interested in these, please check out the link in the show notes for the applications. Um, Our salaries are generous. Our benefits are generous. We have a 401k, health insurance, 160 hours of annual PTO. Y'all have heard us talk about open book management on the show. So staff participate in gain sharing as well. It's a pretty sweet setup. Um, Mm. So we hope that you will share it with folks or take a look at it yourself.
1: All right, so let's uh, take our first sponsor break that uh, if you were the AdOps Associate, maybe you would be trafficking (laughs) here in the future, and then we'll come back.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888-LOVE and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Kalyan Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Kalyan Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode.
1: Programming note. Um, we're going to try something different this fall. Uh, as listeners of the show have been around for you know six months at least or longer, know that we from time to time we do Extra episodes, especially in the high seasons for publishing in the fall, and then in the spring into the early summer. Part of that is subsidized by our advertising. Part of it is because there's more to talk about, and we have other ideas and stuff we want to do beyond the the regular show. Like today, um, this time we're trying a little bit something different where it's not advertising supported. The idea with our we're going to use our fall preview draft. Use the same format we use the last couple of uh, seasonal previews where Rebecca and I. Each draft 10 books and see who can win in a pre-publication recommendation off. Now that I say that, it seems even less and less. Even further and further divorce for something like uh, 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 scoreability and rationality. But it's a fun show. It's our way of taking a look at the books coming ahead. As we said, it is a, it is a bumper crop. It's the Brood X uh book releases <laughs> truly,
2: truly. here in
1: the fall. I my, my list of possible <laughs> candidates for my 10 selections is up to ninety seven oh, titles Jeff. at this point. Um let's just say I'm not gonna have any problem finding <laughs> candidates. I may have a problem winning, but I'm gonna have a problem finding candidates. So what we're gonna do with this show is it's going to be outside of our normal feed. We're using a platform called Gumroad where you can go and download the episode and it's gonna be pay what you will. So if you feel like you want to throw a few bucks at it so that we'll do more of these bonus ones, great. If you're not in a position where that makes sense for you, we still want you to be able to listen. And we're going to see how this model of doing extra bonus content works. Like, you listen to a lot of podcasts, you know, a lot of them are going to a subscription model of some kind where you get a weekly or monthly or whatever bonus content of some kind for a recurring subscription. We understand why that makes sense for some shows, you know, why it's great we're kind of in a weird position where a lot of the, we have more advertising infrastructure than a lot of independent shows do. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we do is advertising, but not everything we do makes sense to be supported by advertising. So we're looking for other ways to subsidize and fund and, you know, run a company on the kinds of content we want to make. So that's going to come out We're, we're shooting to have it available for Labor Day weekend um, so that's next weekend, I guess. Uh, do we have mm-hmm. a date? Do we do we have for no what? Do we decide what day for sure we're going to try? We to
2: do are shooting to release it on Friday, September third. Yep. So barring right. a surprise, <laughs> that's when it'll be available, and mm-hmm. we will then. Um, maybe drop a note into this podcast feed about that with information about where you can go find it.
1: Yeah, that's what I was planning on doing. As soon as that is live, you'll see a little blurb that'll that'll show up as an announcement in this feed with a description. I'll probably say the URL out loud and include a link that people can find it there. That's another thing we're trying to figure out, like how to let people know about this and other things. So it's an experiment for us. We may or may not do it again, but it's one of our favorite um, episodes of the year. But if we're only going weekly, then it takes up a new show and blah, blah, blah. So... We're gonna. We're looking forward to it. I, I I have my draft order in mind. I think. Okay. We haven't talked about this at all. We have a little bit of a problem that we might have the first. We both might have the number one overall draft.
2: <laughs> Are you talking about the Colson Whitehead problem?
1: <laughs> I've never heard of him. Not familiar with his work.
2: <laughs> have you heard of debut? He'll probably be Taylor available. Jenkins He'll Rico. be available
1: for you at number two. <laughs> if you don't Here. take him, I'm sure uh-huh. he can get. Yeah, I don't uh-huh. think so. <laughs> so anyway, we're. I think what we're gonna do. Um, we're going to do our draft and we'll be in reverse order and blah, blah, blah. It is it is a wonderful, it's a wonderful fall. Like I'm looking at my number 15, it's, 16, 17 picks. I'm like, yeah. those would be like must reads for me in a given season.
2: Oh, yeah. I've downloaded so many galleys of fall releases that I'm going to be reading fall 2021 into like mm-hmm. April of next year if I
1: it's, it's really, really get to
2: all of them. It's, it is a wild and just really embarrassment of riches situation. You know, we haven't decided how we're going to decide who goes first first because the first draft that we did you made the list of candidates so I got to go first and then right. the second time around I made the list of candidates and you got to go first I mean I'm the reigning champion so I kind of think I should get to go first but of course that make
1: it take it no I think it's like if you're the if you're the the bottom team in the NBA oh. from last season you get the number one draft pick hello
2: and welcome to motivated reasoning well <laughs> on both parts,
1: I, I, I learned it from you um <laughs> The other thing we could do is, you know, random number generator. I, mm-hmm. I was thinking about the Whitehead, though. What if we took it off the board?
2: Ah, okay. Is that
1: interesting? Because after that, it's not as obvious to me. That one's yeah. pretty clear, but after that, I could go in a number of different directions. I differ think that
2: directions. makes it more interesting. We could just assume that whatever our set of 10 is, both of us yep. tack on Colson Whitehead as a <laughs> We have the bonus. 11
1: picks, and we both picked Colson. You get Colson, and I get Whitehead. Yeah. Um I don't know. We'll, we'll decide. We'll make that I a like game that time decision yeah. a little bit. Um, the RSTNLE uh, uh-huh. kind of. A, yeah, a he, that's,
2: that's where we are with him. I don't think I told you that I was going back to read Sag Harbor this summer. Oh. And I just did it last week while you were on vacation. And it is wild going back to old Colson Whitehead. And when you know what yeah. future Colson Whitehead holds.
1: I know. Yeah, the, the Sag Harbor is also very good. It's just it is. so different. It's um, great,
2: but it's yeah. like, wow, this is, it has no portent of like, this guy's going to write the Underground Railroad mm-hmm. in 10 years. It's, yeah. it's incredible.
1: So anyway, yeah, we're, we're trying mm-hmm. to figure that out. But yeah, there's a lot of names, you know, I also was looking for a different, I think both of us were looking for different things. We're working on at, at spring 2022, which got to say a little bit weaker. I mean, quite mm-hmm. a bit weaker. Spring's generally weaker than fall, but I think there's quite a yeah, drop right This
2: now. fall is just bananas because yeah. it has some books that were supposed to come out last fall mm-hmm. <laughs> and that were delayed or come out this spring and were delayed because of COVID and publishers doing their best at guessing about when the pandemic would settle down in a way that would support more reading of like serious literary fiction Um It'll be very interesting. I don't think we're continuing to see title delays like that, even though the pandemic does continue to to shift and move. And reading habits, I think, are now firmly established. As like people are reading more right now, um, that's what the trends have shown. At least books have done just fine, so there's no publishing reason to delay a big yeah. release. Though attention for things is interesting. I would kind of hate to be an author coming out this fall in this class of competitors. You are
1: not, yeah. David- <laughs> Maybe authors. <laughs> I, I think I would have chosen the pandemic rather yeah, than this. Or it well, a, we're still in it, the heart of the just pandemic. Just
2: a we are, right? spicy proposition to be, yeah. you know, like just off the top of my head: Colson Whitehead, Lauren Groff, Claire V. Watkins. So there's
1: many. a David Sedaris. There's a Susan Orlean. Right, I mean, there's a, right. I mean, there's on the yeah. nonfiction front, there's there's a million. So uh, we could go. on. We, we will go on and on at length um, <laughs> there. So looking forward to that. I guess related, the, the same thing is happening in movies. I mean, mm-hmm. as a as a blockbuster movie watcher and, and a movie watcher in general, I get. This fall, or so between, well, September 3rd is Shang-Chi, the new Marvel movie, mm-hmm. and Christmas, which is Eternals, or no, excuse me, there's um, Spider-Man, there's also an Eternals movie, there's also a Top Gun Maverick, and a James Bond movie, and those are just like five right there. I will see none of them in the theater, because I'm doing this stuff, but, uh, and this stuff meaning trying not to infect myself or those around me, but the same thing has is, is happened in movies, is like, they've been waiting and waiting, it's like, finally, we got to we're just gonna, it's time. It's time to move forward and we'll see what happens there. So, again, yeah, a small movie is gonna have this sort of the same mm-hmm. things to contend with that a, um, you know, a debut author or middleist author is gonna have to deal with right now. What's the best of book to everybody? I hope everyone buys and reads a whole bunch of books. Speaking of the fall, I don't think I've ever seen a story like this. Now, maybe this happens more often and it's just one of those where the book itself, the author, herself and the hype
0: Mm. and
1: timeline is such that we would notice it right there's sort of a Bermuda triangle of attention here but Viking which Viking Young Readers which is part of Penguin Random House Young Readers blah 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 Amanda Gorman's book for young people book of poems for young people is coming out this fall it was originally listed at 1999 has been that way it's been on the docket since January like soon after yes. the inauguration we we were talking about this right like mm-hmm. the, the, the hill we climb was going to come out but then her new book of of new work is going to come out for kids young people in the fall and i don't know I've never seen this. You can tell me, but let me let me do the top line for people. They wanted to change it from 1999 to 2499, which for a book of poetry for kids is a lot of money. Yes. That's a lot of money for poetry writ large. Um, and I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm just saying it's out of scale from what you would see from a book of poetry. And I know this is going to surprise everyone, but a price hike <laughs> right now, didn't go over super great, Rebecca. People are like, Not what the hell? Great. We've re- we've re- we've done pre-orders, book buy um bookstores and other retailers have made orders. What's gonna ha- do I have to pay more for these things? What is going on? Uh this was in Publishers Lunch, which is an industry newsletter that people in the industry read and subscribe to, which I do as well. Um, so I can't cite it. I don't actually know who wrote this, and I can't link to it either, but I, I did want to give them credit for breaking this. And, they, and they, that was yesterday, and in today's publisher's launch they said, moments after our email went out, <laughs> Viking decided to try to like back up and try to figure out how some way to accommodate the book orders that have already been made. I took it as read they were going to yeah. honor the price of the book orders that made. So I, I thought this was just for a new order. So I'm even doubly surprised here. So I guess a couple questions for you, Rebecca. One... Have, do you remember anything like this happening no. before? Okay.
2: I've, I don't. If this has happened before, I don't think it's happened on a high enough profile title that we would have noticed. And I don't know why a publisher would try this on a low profile title.
1: <laughs> yes. Why? Yeah. There's nothing but pain there. Where at least you right. get some pain in the, the prospect yeah, of a few, I, a few shekels more.
2: I And I just went and Googled, I was thinking, like, okay, what are other hardcover kids' poetry collections? And the only thing that is available to my mind is, like, Shel Silverstein. Right. So for comparison... The hardcover of where the sidewalk ends, which is a pretty big book, it is. is 19.99 list price. So they're talking about Amanda Gorman, which I believe is a smaller collection at what 24.99. Mm-hmm. Um, that's real. I mean, I get the urge to capitalize on her popularity right now, but adding on to the price of a book that's already gone out for pre-order, it's pretty. That's pretty spicy, and I think it's a really. I'm interested in what independent booksellers have to say about this cuz if you're Amazon and you've got people who pre-ordered it for 19.99 yeah you can just list it at 19.99 even though the list price has gone up and not be impacted by it but you know indie bookstores often don't have those same kinds of pricing flexibility available to them for reasons that we talk about all the time but like this seems like you should have just noted that we wish we had charged more for this book and then you charge more for it the next time around <laughs> or like next a special time edition.
1: A, the next time Haley's Comet comes around, get out your telescope, right? I Recognize mean, that's that the other it's thing Haley's Comet is, when
2: it's happening yeah, to I you. You know, like, if you didn't realize on January 21st, Amanda Gorman is phenomenal and people are going to buy her books and we want to make money on that, so let's charge 24 99 for this thing. I kind of can't help you. But also I think nineteen ninety nine is a perfectly reasonable price.
1: It does seem that way. I want to... I, I'm not... I don't know that there's a generous reading here because it is a price hike. But is there any reason we can surmise that might be something about other than just making more money? Like, is it a demand problem by like raising? They're, they're having paper issues or delivery or royalty. Like, is there anything else to consider other than well, they thought they could make five more bucks a copy and they knew they were going to mean- sell five hundred thousand of them?
2: It would be the first time that a printing demand issue had resulted in a publisher trying to sell fewer copies of a thing by raising the price. Or just Um, get
1: more for what you had because you knew the demand is going to be there, I I guess.
2: I I think if you wanted to go this route, you announce a new special edition that has Mm. some sort of extra special thing attached to it. And you make it possible for people who have pre-ordered the first edition to like cancel those pre-orders and pre-order the new one at the higher price make both available and see you can actually get some interesting data there how many people are willing to pay five more dollars for whatever the special features are in the amanda gorman special edition but this i think this one is a challenging one for generous reads. Also because of the nature of what Amanda Gorman writes about and the nature of the content that's like, like she's young and wonderful and very inspiring and people want to buy her book and we want to capitalize on that. But also like, let's try to make extra, I'm having a really challenging time, more so than usual, (laughs) finding a generous reading for let's make more money off of this.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those situations where it would make sense for there to be more priced elasticity in books than currently mm-hmm. exists. Just as an anecdote that I'm mad about from my own personal life, because this is a podcast, is what you can do is we're in the market for a new car, and the new car we want because of chip shortages and whatever else it's hard to get, and a lot of people want it, so they're charging ten grand over the sticker price for the car if you want to buy it. Mm. I don't love that because I don't, and I'm not paying it. I'm going to wait and be one of these people that waits six years to buy a new car because you're a Scrooge or whatever. But on the other hand, at least the dealer has the, um, the latitude to charge more. And then when there's a lower demand period, they charge less, you know, everyone knows this about buying cars. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you, if you get a older model or something less popular, whatever you can get less. So, we have a mental model of going into the dealer and negotiating, and the price can be, you know, some sort of Heisenberg uncertainty cloud that orbits the sticker price. With books, it only goes down. The only thing that happens is it gets discounted um, in Amazon or Walmart or whatever places. There is no, except in the aftermarket, I guess, the collector's market, eBay or something else like that. But not from not from regular professional brick and mortar stores. Is there the capacity to say, you know what? we're going to sell a billion becomings no matter what i'm going to put my little sticker over the 24.99 and i'm going to make it 28.99 and right. that's something booksellers have asked for in the past especially independent booksellers so mm-hmm. i think there's maybe not a generous reading but a more interesting conversation to be had around price elasticity because if an independent bookstore, which is going to sell a lot of these, this is the kind of book people buy at independent bookstores, they buy at brick and mortar bookstores. Children's books do extremely well here there. This has a lot of brand uh, brand name recognition. If we had it in sort of our DNA of how books work, to say, you know what? Uh Powell's or McNally Jackson we're gonna talk about in a minute, they put their little sticker over it says it's twenty five ninety nine. God bless them, but this is not the way to do that.
2: Right. That's a shift in publishing that would open up a lot of space and competitive, like, not even advantage, but just the Ability for independent bookstores to compete more right. with Amazon is if the list price were were what we see in other industries, which is the manufacturer suggested retail,
1: or price. not even printed and, on the box. I mean, that's yeah, the weirdest or, right, thing we've talked right, about. This
2: before. Or not even printed on the book, and then right then you could see, like, as the person who runs the business, you could see what the suggested price is, and you could price it according to what your business is doing. You could use the laws of supply and demand. Yes. Like, this is a place where publishing is very different from other industries because consumers are not used to seeing the supply and demand rules in action and how things are priced. It's just the book is priced the way it's priced and it only goes down, especially if demand is lower. Like we've seen Amazon drop prices on new hardcovers when we can assume that they're not selling very well based on this was hyped and it has not appeared on any bestseller lists. And oh, look, also Amazon's selling the hardcover for $13.99 trying to unload them. Book buyers are not used to seeing that go the other way, especially in what you're talking about with cars. It's not like this this fancy cookbook that costs a lot because it's expensive to produce. Like that's what the pricing is based on. These books are expensive to produce. And so like cookbooks are more expensive than a hardcover novel is, but we're never told as consumers because bookstores don't have the ability to do it inside the industry. Hey, just more people want to read this and we have limited copies of it. So we're raising the price, which happens in all kinds of other places. And it would be wonderful to see publishing have an industry-wide conversation about Responding to those economic pressures, creating some more pricing elasticity. But this is not the entry point, or it's at no. least not an <laughs> elegant entry no. point for that kind of conversation. It's really, this is one of those announcements in publishing that makes me be like, I really want to read the entire transcript of the meetings where this decision was made. <laughs>
1: It almost makes you think that there wasn't a meeting, that someone was entering in a spreadsheet somewhere, almost like this. Or was it Circe, the Madeline Miller?
2: Oh yeah. And
1: they're like, you know what? We could get away with twenty-five. This is, and then <laughs> someone didn't think about uh, that's. That's my generous reading. Is this was a, a screw-up, not a considered move.
2: Well then, um, then why not know. walk it back? If it's a screw-up, you say that I don't was an know. A- Rebecca, error.
1: I, I'm trying to defense. I'm trying. I'm trying here. <laughs> I'm trying here. Um, I I, Do you know if it's a? It this is a. You, you may know this, um, and if you don't, I'm going to open up to the wider audience because mm-hmm. this is a good little bird question. I, I'm, I have a just the hardcover that happened to be on my desk, "The Thousand Crimes of Ming Su" by Tom Lin, which I read this summer. I really liked. Haven't had a chance to talk about it, but anyway, on the front flap, it's got you know my nice dust jacket hardcover. The um, the price twenty eight bucks U S. Thirty five dollars Canadian. It's on the upper right hand corner of the um, front flap dust jacket. Mm-hmm. If I am McNally Jackson or whatever, and I wanted to say, get my little um, my little pricing gun sticker thing out and pop over that with a thirty-two bucks, am I legally allowed to? Is what do, do my contract with my supplier let me do that, or am I... I am I not allowed to do it? Forget about the practical like optics things, but like, would uh, I don't even know who this book is published by. Let me take a look here. Would uh, I'm, I think it's Viking actually? Weirdly, no, Little Brown. Would Little Brown come a knocking if they saw that and say, hey? Jeff, uh, I don't know if you know this, but your distribution agreement with us doesn't allow you to charge over cover price.
2: I don't know 100%, but I'm within a like 95% confidence index that it, it's not allowed.
1: It's not allowed.
2: Okay. If it were allowed bookstores would be doing it
1: would be doing it for books like the new <laughs> amanda gorman
2: or like what's the last right Or I guess like, it was you the know, obama last...
1: book that was we had we had real concern about having enough copies wasn't well, that la- one and, or something?
2: yeah and last year at the holiday season like in the thick of covid winter salt fat acid yes. heat was trending on couldn't netflix and you yes. couldn't find copies of it and like folks at like two indie bookstores had the last remaining copies of it in the United States. I remember seeing it on Instagram and like, they absolutely would have been like, you can have these for a hundred bucks and somebody would have paid it if they were allowed to do that. I'm pretty sure that it's contractually not acceptable, but I, if we have little birdies who can confirm, Mm. that would be great.
1: (laughs) Anyway. So that one, I'm not sure how that's going to resolve itself, but, um, seems like an own goal to me. I don't think the amount of money they would have made or going to make is certainly worth all the storm and Drong they've they've signed up for themselves. Yeah, for sure. Here.
2: I wonder how many copies they've pre-sold. How many have been pre-ordered? I would love to know that.
1: I don't know. I, I, what A good question would be you know, over a five-year window, will this sell more or will The Hill they, We Climb sell more? You would think The Hill We Climb, but I would think The Hill We Climb, but just because it, it was the inauguration poem, it came out first, but it's hard to or you shouldn't discount school, library teachers yep. stuff, um over the over the long haul. So had we a book scan account, the long desired. <laughs> <laughs> ne'er, ne'er purchased. Book Someday. Scandico. Someday. We'll have to, we'll have to we're going to have to find some rationale for that. Um, that's, you know, more plausible than just, I want curiosity. It. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, speaking of independent bookstores, I dropped this in today. Another Publishers Lunch exclusive, Breaking There. I haven't, haven't seen another place I could link to. So shouts to PL um, this week, especially. McNally Jackson Books is getting its own imprint with Simon & Schuster, Basically, they're going to be repackaging books that have been out. They're in, there will really be paperbacks, but there's a David Foster Wallace backlist. There's some other names that I haven't heard of. They're going to, Pete Mendelssohn, who has been a uh, mm-hmm. guest on Reading Lives when we had that show, superstar designer, novelist, book, an acolyte, um, is going to do a bunch of the cover designs. They're going to have new intros. And McNally Jackson is going to, I guess, curate them, put them out front. I thought this was fascinating and doesn't matter at the same time. (laughs) And uh, and maybe, (laughs) is that unfair?
2: Are you different than me? (laughs) No, I was going to be a little bit more generous.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, Um, here's what's weird. Is it will matter for these backlist titles that... If they're selling fifteen copies a week right now, I'd be shocked. Right. I think McNally Jackson can sell more than fifteen copies a week of these in their own special editions that they put out in front. In, I mean McNally, I mean it's got to be like the most valuable, or it has to do the most revenue of any independent bookstore in America chain, right? Maybe outside of Powell's, but like when you think of an independent bookstore, in it's New York, the publishing mm-hmm. industry. These are super affluent clientele. They, they buy a lot of books like. This is kind of where you would do it, right? If you were going to, do yeah, I think like this. that's
2: what I was going to say. Is if any independent bookstore can make a go of something like this, that will heavily rely on hand selling for yeah, its success, right. it's McNally Jackson. They have the right customer base for these. Like, let's just. We call it obscure um, and out of and out of print, mm-hmm. previously out of print titles. And they're like right in the heart of literary hipsterdom where people are interested in that kind of stuff. Like in and, and hearing their independent bookstore say, here is a an older book that we are bringing back to life and let me yeah. hand sell it to you. So if anybody can make a go of this, but like, are you going to see like a Barnes and Noble ordering in a bunch of copies of the McNally Jackson editions and then turning them into big sellers? Probably not. So I I agree in the big picture it probably doesn't matter much but for, I think for McNally Jackson this is an interesting move it could Mm -hmm. have an impact on like, you know, what their best selling titles are in store, um, And certainly on, as you were saying, the authors of these books who, you know, haven't really have very likely not been selling much at all in a given week. And now they're going to have, you know, an active they have a store with an active interest in, in mm-hmm. selling them. What kind of marketing budget is going to happen understand. here? I have what I have tons of questions about if there is one. Also, like, I'm not entirely sure if this is a McNally-Jackson imprint at Simon & Schuster or this is a thing that McNally-Jackson Books has created and Simon & Schuster is just distributing it? Because there's a there's an important difference there. Like, is Simon & Schuster invested in the infrastructure of this? Do they have editors working on it? Are they putting marketing budget toward it? Are these Simon & Schuster books that McNally-Jackson curates or is this a McNally-Jackson project and Simon & Schuster just ships the books?
1: Can I guess? Would you like to hear my guess of what the I business is? I would like to hear your is?
2: book, yes.
1: And some of this is we've explored something not dissimilar from this in the past and keep the mm-hmm. names of imprints and everything else out of it. But my guess is that it operates something like this. Either McNally Jackson had this idea or someone at Simon & Schuster who's a McNally Jackson fan had an idea of, I'm assuming they're picking from Simon and schuster own titles already. So you already have the copyright to all this stuff. You don't have to go out and acquire anything. You don't have to develop new royalty mm-hmm. statements, anything else like that. All that's really happening here is we're getting a new cover and maybe a new intro. And we're going to print a thousand of them. And McNally Jackson's is going to try to sell them through. Yeah. That's my guess of what the Minimum Viable is
2: here. A, I think that's a good guess. And it'll be interesting to see if this still exists in the fall of 2022. Yeah, that's right.
1: This is a very tough game. Now, again, mm-hmm. you're taking a lot of the overhead out because you've, you've done all the upfront costs. Um, maybe these books have even earned out so that you don't have to, you know, there's something else going on here. I'd like to know what the business arrangement is. Presumably, McNally Jackson is getting a piece of the price in addition to what they get from just selling it themselves, right? There's got to be some mm-hmm. additional incentive. Now, is uh, Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn going to carry these?
2: Oh, that's a great I don't question.
1: see why not, but if they were so great sellers, they'd be selling them already. Does having like the McNally Jack I think that's what your marketing question is. Mm-hmm. Is is the idea here is like the front of the independent bookstore has out of scale impact in the ability in the hand sell and all that means. I'm using that for the sort of the broad value of what an independent bookstore provides, or really any bookstore with sellers worth their salt. McNally Jackson's like, we're doing. Why shouldn't we get more? Because we provide more value here. And here's a way of of, of codifying in that way. Is it that much more than co-op? I would wonder the deal. Because mm. if not, why not just have Simon and Schuster say, "Hey, what books do you think would sell particularly well?" And give you a co-op deal. Why brand it this way? Again, my priors for all this stuff is no imprint matters. Yeah. Outside of jo- a very specific genre where it can matter. Bourdain doesn't matter, Sarah Jessica. What, what's going on with um Phoebe Robinson's thing that we talked about or Roxanne Gaines? Like, no one knows. We make these announcements and then nothing happens. So that's my prior is that mm-hmm. nothing will happen. Maybe there'll be like Book Riot, um, Barnes and Noble discovery picks, where it's a nice way of branding something, gives you an excuse to put something on the front and you get a, little, a few more dollars, make people feel special. I don't know. But it's hard to see how – it's certainly not scalable to every independent bookstore of any size in this country. I mean, there's not that many of them, like, I guess, book people in Austin or Powell's or The Strand. But even Barnes & Noble doesn't do this, which should tell you something. Now, maybe they've yeah, missed it. But, like, you would think they would be the ones to be like, especially 10 years ago, let's do our own imprint. Why, why not? They missed that completely, and maybe they were right, maybe they were wrong. But it does make you wonder that this is a really interesting idea at large.
2: It does. And, you know, a Barnes & Noble imprint – That worked like a regular imprint does where you're like dealing with agents and sourcing brand new books that have never been published Barnes and Noble has a big enough profile that they, I think feasibly could launch the Mm -hmm. career of, of a new author what Simon & Schuster had planned to do with these titles before McNally Jackson had conversations <laughs> with them. My assumption is Simon & Schuster had no intention to That's ever... That's right.
1: There was They re- were mothballed, right? Yeah. ...republish
2: these. It wasn't like, hey, we've got these great titles and we want to bring them back and put some money behind them and let's mm. go find McNally Jackson. Like, I think I, I understand why McNally Jackson was interested in doing something like this. And they even say in this piece that... McNally Jackson Editions was conceived at the height of the pandemic when libraries in the world had shut their doors and a scarce paperback could command hundreds or even thousands of dollars. And so it makes sense that they started thinking about, like, well, what are some other books that are hard to find that we love and that we could sell? And going to Simon & Schuster with something like this is, is interesting. But, like, also, McNally Jackson, like, you like these books, but... The general reading public has stopped paying attention to them, so yeah, it's an. It, I think it's an interesting proposition. Like, I, I think it does rely on the power of the hand sell, which is a huge asset for indie bookstores. But w- why are they so confident about these particular titles that they can make them relevant and exciting again?
1: I got caught on that clause of when a paperback could sell for hundreds or even. What are we talking about? What? What? what what's the antecedent for that? Do you know? <laughs> What there paperback was, is McNally oh, Jackson could get $100,000 for? It
2: was, and I don't know that it was even McNally Jackson, because they're not allowed. It's, it was used copies. Like, well, that's, I yeah, saw, right. I think it was the Bridgertons, the only example that oh, I saw. Oh, no way. Really? The only example I saw. So this is a good one for little birdies, too. Email us, podcast yes, at bookriot.com. dot If you remember, but I do remember that when the Bridgerton show was dropping on Netflix in the middle of like, I think it was pandemic summer last year. um, Folks were looking for old copies of some of the Bridgerton novels and some of the used editions were selling on eBay for a lot of money. So much so that um, oh, I can't remember the author's name now. But yes, the Julia Quinn came out on the Internet being like, please don't buy these used copies for thousands of dollars. This is
1: what what your Kindle is for. Or, yeah. Uh, anyway, I guess if you're a
2: collector. You but that's the only that's there. the only one that I can think of. Like books, no. shipping was hard last year at the at the height of the pandemic, but like Popular titles that had been printed in the like thousands and thousands didn't actually become hard to get. It was books that were old or rare. Like all,
1: well, like the collectibles market always has right, that, right? Right. Like, what would be different about this? And how does this address that? Yeah, I was like, I was, right. there was some missing piece of the market. Yeah, argument and like buying
2: habits early in the pandemic were so strange, and people were like panic shopping, and then right. we're, we're also looking for like any taste of novelty because you've been stuck oh, in your house. So like, right. why not spend a hundred bucks on this old book on eBay? But i am really interested in the sort of the full flow of reasoning into creating this project and i wish that this were like a reported piece on like vulture about here's Mm -hmm. what they did and why rather than just these little snippets this is not nearly enough information for me jeff
1: (laughs) you want the royalty statements (laughs) you like the copies of the advance Um, do they get what, what whole... piece of the audiobook pie do they get yeah. all the way around? Walk
2: me through your whole decision making process. Yeah. It,
1: it is—I've never heard of it before—and I think in a lot of ways it makes more sense than thinking that Sarah Jessica Parker's um, whatever mm-hmm. juice she brings to an imprint that's going to have one book every two years um, is going to matter. Even even you well. Know, I guess wreaths is the ex- exception that proves the rule possibly, but like Oprah doesn't move the unit she used to. And we're going to get to this in a minute. And there's another pick here, but like it's hard for someone who's all current to stay current for long mm-hmm. enough to make an imprint worth it. I think publishing is a business of hits and there's a lot of things that come out and most of them lose monies, but and the ones that don't really don't. And this seems to me to be betting on things that haven't earned Anything of late, mm-hmm. and there's something else going on here. Sometimes these things are as simple as someone wants to try it. We know yeah. this, we do this yeah. ourselves. We do it right? all the like, time. Yeah. yeah so it, it, that would actually make a lot more sense to me than like we think this is an awesome business idea. Someone's like, this <laughs> seems cool, and we want to do it, and I have a friend you know there, what? and all
2: of everything else. That you saying it that way makes me just wish that we could have honest press releases. Like I would have. <laughs> I would have so much respect for an announcement of a project like this where they were like we thought this would be interesting. Simon and Schuster was game. Let's see what happens.
1: Yeah. It's like on book blurbs they should have some like disclosure of what the relationship is of the blurber to the person. Yeah. This is my this is my cousin. But right. I need to say something nice about my cousin's book, so here we go. Right, Similar or if it,
2: you know, if there had to be an asterisk next to every blurb that was like, "We have the same agent and we're doing each other favors." <laughs> <That's right.
1: laughs> it's my MFA teacher.
2: <laughs> right, right. There's or, a lot of those. The same, That's probably right. going to be the most common one. That we one. Went or we went to the writers, same... writers' workshop together that, or we had the same mentor in our sure. MFA programs, or we attended the yeah. like same bread loaf conference or, or whatever. If you had, if you removed the economy of favors from the blurbing industry, you would have, my guess is like 85% fewer blurbs.
1: Yeah. Speaking of there's a new Gary ingart coming out this fall. <laughs> the <blurber. laughs> Appropriately. Okay. Oh, yeah, I guess we get to the, the new Oprah pick. Um, uh, her name, oh, it's Jeffers. What's her first name? Honoré. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. New book, um, which I've been looking forward to, The Love Letters of W.B. Du Bois, which uh, sounds like a really cool book. Maybe you can read the description. I don't have in front of me because I yes. was trying to look for the when this. I was trying to look for the announcement because I remember this getting a big advance and I thought I had a capture.
2: Oh, in. I don't remember that, but that's <sighs> that's great. So it is the love songs of W. Love songs, du- pardon me. Of oh, W. B. Du Bois. and coming out from HarperCollins, multi generational saga which spans the entire breadth of African American history has received stunning pre publication reviews for its scope and ambition. The novel's primary protagonist, Ailey Pearl Garfield, provides the lens through which we see a woman grappling with. Both both the desire to break free from her family to establish her own identity and to probe secrets that have been kept too long in the dark. I am sold at multi generational family saga, which spans say, the entire bells. breadth of African American history. And a poet writing fiction is almost always an interesting exercise.
1: Got a couple of thoughts about this particular, but also that bridge out. But I want to take a quick sponsor break first because we're running, we're getting towards the middle of the show. Mm hmm.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So, Negative Space by Gillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student, but how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon's siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints long after we are gone by Tara Shelton Harris,
1: Excited to see this. This was on my list too. Um it's out now, right? It's out. You can I go buy this so. or is it coming soon?
2: Oh uh, Oprah doesn't announce it until you can buy them.
1: Okay. Smart. Yep. Um mm-hmm. and in fact moved up the Nickel Boys, right? Was it the Nickel Boys That's that got right. moved up
2: for for say, Yes, it, yeah, it was the Nickel
1: Boys. <laughs> it's Oprah's calendar and publishing just waits uh with, with baited <laughs> money to see. Exciting book. Uh a little long for me to get super excited, but I sure I'm sure it's pretty interesting too. But what made me think about this, the I, I, did she pick the sweetness of water by Nathan Harris? Was that her pick yes, as she well this summer? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which I read, I really like that one as well.
2: Oh good. I hadn't gotten to it yet. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's really cool. With the Whitehead coming out, here, here's here's my meta observation. And I hadn't thought about this because I think the the, the waters have rised around us. I'm not sure. And it should be this way for a lot of different reasons, not a surprise, but it just struck me as this is the greatest time for black literature there's ever been. It's it just, yes. it's not even close. I mean, we talk about the Harlem Renaissance, you talk about the black arts movement and the seventies and everything else like this, but it's not close. I mean, you look at, you look at the depth chart um, and we've got debut novelists coming out with a really interesting, this book The sweetness of water, and then what I've got on my long list—I'm going to spoil it here, so don't use it against me. (laughs) Your list of
2: ninety-five contenders.
1: Um, My Monticello, which is a book of short stories Mm -hmm. that I'm really looking forward to, and and we're across. It's not just as a wrong word, but sometimes historically. The prominence of black literature have been in sort of the high literature moment yes. or mid-list or literary fiction, you know, going back to the Renaissance you know to really start or even Phyllis Wheatley before of like, you know, drawing room poetry, so to speak. But we've got we've got Jasmine Guillory in romance and we've got mm-hmm. S.A. Crosby and Attica Locke in mystery thriller. We've got M.K. Jemison in science fiction and fantasy. We've got macarthur genius winners nobel prize winner some days in the in the form of whitehead we've mm-hmm. got the you know sort of the next generation in the jesmyn wards um in the uh jesse's we've got all these debut novelists we've got the brandon taylor's we've got sas we've got tracy k smith and kevin young in poetry it, it's it's incredible i mean you look at the depth chart of the harlem Residents, which i know fairly well like i get eight or nine names and i've got 30 more to give you right now if people do interesting work and I think this is one of those situations that happens, things come together, it takes some time, but it's an, ex- it's an exciting time in black literature that I can ever remember having studied, and I've done some of this. I'm not, mm-hmm. not the world's foremost expert in this, for sure, but I put my bona fides on this up against most any general readers about understanding this, and it's remarkable. You, I mean, I could do two whole shelves of books that I thought were great from the last couple of years by black authors and that's not that they weren't capable of writing it's because a people are interested in publishing them they they have different kinds of marketing budgets they did diff- di- different kind of recognition a different kind of readers. so in a way it's much more of a groundswell than things there's so many pe- there's so many there's so many little rivulets flowing into this river that i s i almost didn't re- re- realize we were in the mississippi now and not yeah, just some, I, some tributary of it
2: i think that's a great point that we are we we've gotten finally into a virtuous and self-fulfilling cycle right. with the publishing of great books by black writers that publishing finally started, you know, publishing them a little bit more, marketing them to a general audience and not just to black audiences and seeing some success, seeing them get picked up by Oprah and Reese Witherspoon, right. seeing readers really fall for books or like for, you know, fans of Jasmine Guillory that there is no fan better to have than a romance no. fan. And that reinforces publishing into like, oh, let's keep doing this. You know, I think black writers are still really underrepresented in publishing, but you are and both of these things can be true at the same yes. time that black writers are st- st- remain underrepresented and this is the best situation we have ever had yet in publishing for, for black writers that there's much more work to do but I've, I'm heartened and I think we've had some conversations offline that like one of the ways that you know progress is happening like this is when a group that's been underrepresented starts to reach a place where like mediocrity is a thing that they're allowed yeah, to do right. publicly so, and, some
1: big advanced book kind of sucks and it's yeah, like okay we did this yeah. Yeah, like world killer. Pl- for like the-
2: right, plenty white guys write books that are mediocre and they had million dollar advances for them and they didn't sell and those people continue to have careers of of some kind of stature and that's one of the sort of one of the benchmarks and we are, I'm not going to name names but we are entering a space where some of the big deals that have gone to black writers and writers of of other marginalized backgrounds come out, the book is fine and like that's what, that's great that they're fine, that they don't all have to be, knock it out of the Park successes for publishing to continue to see the value and the import of not just continuing to publish these kinds of writers, but publishing even more of them in the future. And I do think that we're in a space where that sort of growth is happening. It's been enough years now since We Need, since we need Diverse Books launched okay. that some of the titles that were acquired in those initial moments after that movement began have started to come out and have been successful. This is a really, I think, very exciting time.
1: And you know, just to compare it with the era I know best is that we, uh, we, we've been following some people in the breadth of this podcast who's had longer careers than Wallace Thurman did, or, mm-hmm. or even someone like Zora Neale Hurston, who famously was forgotten, and Alice Walker had to get to her grave with a weed whacker, essentially. I'm exaggerating there a little bit, but not too much, um, where by you know, 1929, by the Depression, people were going elsewhere, and it kind of moved to Chicago, and Ellison and Richard Wright picked it up, but it was contingent. On a historical moment in a way that this feels like it has much more pillars of the earth kind of support yes. because like you say a book can come and go that got a big advance um yeah jesse can have a second book that's good but not as transcendent as homegoing but she's going to get another big advance and people are going to read her mm-hmm. Britt bennett yep. writes the vanishing half in it's a hit even though the mothers wasn't as big of a hit but her second book sold more than the first which is very unusual in this kind of movie if it was more of a trend i don't think, i think where the idea. this is some sort of trend this is in danger this is um, you know it, there's no and there's no center which i think is interesting mm-hmm. like you could say about the black Arts movement of it's all it's so distributed that it feels more built in so it feels safer it feels more secure mm-hmm. it feels more like this is I guess, climate change in a positive way, as, as much as that's loaded. But there are, there are things happening that are so exciting, um, and I guess I've not even noticed to be excited about. So it really struck me this morning. When I saw this in there, and I was like, God, there's another amazing-sounding, interesting book, and it's just one of another. And I, didn't, I forgot it had come out. If this was six years ago, I would have never forgotten this book was coming out. <laughs> in a million years. Also, it's Du Bois. It is. I know. Don't email me. Don't mispronounce it to your professor. It's Du Bois. I know you want to say Dubois. It's not that. Trust 22-year-old Jeff who thought he knew his shit and screwed up in front of people that really had an influence over his life and got really embarrassed. So there you go.
2: Who among us has not had a moment like that?
1: And you're not wrong. It should be that, whatever, or should. If you think you're fancy, that's what it looks like. That's not what it is. There you go. Free one for those of you out there. (laughs)
2: That just went in an unexpected direction, and I am (laughs) here for it.
1: (laughs) Because you got to, you you know, that twenty-two-year-old Jeff going to grad school Mm -hmm. in New York wearing his pleated khakis. Thought he knew what it was.
2: Dubois. Mm
1: Dubois. Oh boy! Oh boy! I'm getting, I'm getting the shakes just thinking about
2: that. We're sending real compassion to twenty-two-year-old Jeff and his pleated khakis.
1: He was fine. Don't worry. (laughs) He's, he's going to do okay.
2: Can we talk a little bit more about authors with
0: like surprising audience attention? Yeah, yeah.
1: One second. Last sponsor break before we do that. That's a great hook.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend, and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild at heart childhood best friend. So the Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, Marathon-worthy TikTok books and angsty tear-jerkers. Taming 7 is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my
1: Okay. Surprising audience okay. attention.
0: 50 bookshops in
2: the UK are opening early for the publication of Sally Rooney's new novel, Beautiful World, Where Are You? 30 branches of Waterstones, which now we know how to pronounce correctly, and 20 It's Waterstwa.
1: Waterstwa. <laughs> is how you would say
2: that? At Aquastons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: sorry. Go ahead.
2: It's August. What else do we think Yeah, yeah, August is the the summer of the soul, truly. Mm. Uh, So anyway, 30 branches of Waterstones and 20 independent bookstores were going to open their doors to give customers the first chance to buy a copy and receive an exclusive goodie bag and merchandise. Okay, I know people like Sally Rooney. Do they like her enough to go to the bookstore like at 9 a.m. on release day and press their little noses against the glass and... Please, sir, may I have my goodie bag?
1: Yeah, can I get some awkward twenty-year-old on-we sex? I guess is what people are looking for. I, <laughs> like I can't that's... remember the, the only adult author I know that this happens for is Murakami in Japan. We have midnight release parties. I can't think yeah. of the last time there was an anglophone writer.
2: No, I don't think we did. We
1: open early for like the next book after the Da Vinci. I'm, try, I'm trying no. to even think of what it would have been.
2: Yeah, no, I think, you know, I go to my local bookstore on release day of Dan Brown books because I like the ritual, of, yes. but I don't, I think I'm, I know that I'm pretty alone in that because there's not a line of people there at 9 a.m. with me to get, to get, to get well, the new Well, one. they were
1: all there at midnight.
2: <laughs> yeah, the only things that I've seen stores stay open late for are almost always kids in YA hits, yeah. you know, you got it for... Uh, the Twilight series and Hunger Games, when those books were coming out for the last couple Harry Potters, hmm. maybe for a Fifty Shades of Grey, but I don't remember that. Oh, that's
1: a good one. That, yeah, that's a good one, because I, I would, and, I'm not discounting Twilight, because that was important, but in terms yeah. of, it doesn't qualify as an, uh, an adult title. Right. The last like, Fifty a, Shades Freed
2: was that the last one? Yeah, I think so. Mm. And those are events, like capital E, Event in Publishing is a release of a book like that. and. And it's very possible that my understanding of the scale of fandom for Sally Rooney is wrong. And that's Mm. the question I'm asking. Like, do I just not know how excited people really are for new Sally Rooney novel day? And are they going to be lining up outside these 50 shops to get their copy early like Because I, I do not understand Sally Rooney to be on the same scale of excitement for a new title as like a, the final E.L. James book or a Murakami release. I mean, we and- got to
1: think that um, Waterstons knows what they're doing. I, I mean, you're sort of positing, do they know what they're doing? If they don't, maybe it's going to be midnight and no one's going to show up um, yeah, for this. Like-
2: well, and I guess there's implicit in this is like they're going to have the goodie bags on hand. Right. right. So it's not like you have to come at the early opening to get the thing. They'll, yeah, I'm sure they'll sell some Sally Rooney copies throughout the day or the week or like put some signage up of buy your new Sally Rooney while we still have these goodie bags
1: mm-hmm.
2: for you. So I'm just curious. Like, I know that there's Sally Rooney interest and excitement and fandom, but... <laughs> I was just surprised to see this headline. Like, really? Is she that big? And maybe she's bigger in the UK? I need it to make sense. I need also to believe that Waterstones like knows what they're doing. The publisher has to agree to this kind of thing to let bookshops yep. open early. So like, you know, and I, I guess there's no harm in it, really. Like, of course, go ahead. Try to sell some extra ones early. <laughs> <laughs> what
1: well, you think, if no one shows up, they're like, ah, it doesn't matter. Because it's a yeah, Viking yeah, title, too. I, or Knof Yeah,
2: to like, there's kind of no downside uh, to, to trying it. But I'm curious about what the assumed upside well, is.
1: Well, <laughs> at the very least they think it might be, which I think is enough of a surprise to us. Whether or not anyone shows that, up, that Waterstones, that Waterstones thinks that this could happen, because I wouldn't have thought that. I would. I don't know Rooney would yeah. have been in my top 20 to say, no. okay, you get 20 Anglophone writers, what's your draft order for, um, who could uh, support a midnight release party? Again, I'm not the right, I like Sally Rooney fine, I read both um, Normal People and Conversations with Friends, is that the first one? It's one of the oh. generic titles I can't remember. Um. Anyway, I like it fine. I'm a little, I would have liked a lot. 22-year-old pleated khaki Jeff, which I'm way more into that, in a a lot of different ways, (laughs) without telling tales out of school. Um, But, so, I I think she's great, and I understand the deal, even if it's not for me. I guess I'm just surprised. I'm really just surprised to see that that would be a thing.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised, too. And if you had asked me, like, top 20 Anglophone writers that you would try something like this on if we had knocked out you know the James Patterson's and the Nora Roberts's like the big marketing ones I think they published too much be, though it's not I, I think enough. they no I think they do too but like yeah. we're not getting press releases no, about a bunch not. of bookstores opening early for the day that Harlem Shuffle comes out and if there is if you for a literary fiction reader like there's not much that's more exciting in this year than the a new Colson Whitehead like no. and I have to think that that's more exciting in terms of sales potential than a new Sally Rooney is so maybe this is just another example of where the press release should have said we think this might be interesting let's try it (laughs) yeah
1: well and also I mean not for nothing if you're a 20 something year old literary reader you've got time to go at midnight whereas the Whitehead reader is probably older on the whole and we know we're not we're not just as excited (laughs) we can get the book I'm I'm serious I got things to do I gotta be in bed by 9 30 yeah yeah, I'm
2: not going anywhere that starts after 8 p.m no
1: and I, we, you and I don't care that much about, like, the special sauce, like, tote bag thing that comes with it either. Like, if no. it was actually scarce.
2: The uh, only thing that I, would get me to a bookstore at midnight is there's a secret Toni Morrison novel that we just found. It's actually a new book. It's not the Harper Lee treatment. And you like have to come at midnight you're if you such want such a get
1: liar. It. You wouldn't go to a midnight. You would not go. <laughs>
2: no, 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 no! I said I'll only if you could only get it if you went to mi- at midnight. Now, Otherwise, yeah, I, I'm waiting sure. till nine a.m. Okay. the next day. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was gonna say that. <laughs> there, no. There's no. no book release that I'm going.
2: Well, wait. Is that true?
1: Is that true? Let me think about this. <laughs> Because I think if it's something my kids were into, it would be like a fun oh, thing to okay. do. That's a that's different a totally
2: deal. different category. Yes,
1: I'm just saying that. But I'm I'm going up one level. I'm going from your lying to my interesting <laughs> observations about.
2: Things. Oh, oh, right. That's what we're yeah. Doing that's here. what we're okay, doing
1: right, right now. I don't know. <laughs> you're man.
2: interesting, and I'm a liar. There's the show. Uh, I mean,
1: you're an interesting liar. I am a boring <laughs> truth teller. Not appreciated in my own mundacity. Um. <laughs> Yeah, even, even the series my kids are into, it's like the ninth Diary of a Wimpy Kid. There's not much there. It Dog has to Man, be a series. It has to be It has to be what's, hap- what's going on next in the series. Like, the Harry Potter is the one. Like, the new, Karineon Glazer's new installment of Vander Beekers of 141st Street series is the book my family is most looking forward to in the fall, but they're pretty much standalones. Like, they're in the same mm-hmm. world. The kids go older, but there's not, like... You know, um, one of the characters is hanging off a fire escape, or there's a dark wizard that got a new whatever um, that's threatening the. <laughs> there's something. not a
2: cliffhanger moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really matter in that way. Um, the last one that was a big deal here was Cursed Child in America. I can't mm-hmm. think of another one that really. I, I wonder if some circles, if there were more dedicated romance stores. I wonder on the genre level. Now, when George R. Martin comes out <clears throat> with. Um, <laughs> The when new is Game a of Thrones of book. There. <laughs> there will be, there will be parties for that. That's the only oh, one. Totally. That would, and maybe the Rothfuss <laughs> when that one comes out. Um,
2: <laughs> and like maybe the Ripped Bodice like does parties for yeah, Sarah maybe. McLean or some of those like highly anticipated romance titles. I think I think this the excitement lives in genre and kids, like where fandom lives typically. That's right. Literary fiction fandom is a different, smaller beast. It's a lesser animal.
1: It's a lesser animal. It's like a hamster.
2: <laughs> if you know Colson Whitehead, please don't ever tell him that we equated literary fiction to a Everybody hamster.
1: Everybody has one, but you're not, you're not putting your hamster on Instagram. There's no National Hamster Day.
2: <laughs> I'm feeling some need to distance myself from this statement that you're making about hamsters.
1: It's all right. Well, we'll see we'll see how this hamster talk goes. It'll be the guinea pig for our <laughs> pet discussion.
2: Oh, all the rodents.
1: All <laughs> right. I think that's our show.
2: <laughs> I think we better stop now.
1: Email us at podcast@bookride.com at for all your non-disposable pet talk. Um, especially want to know about what were the what were the paperbacks that were going for a thousand bucks that McNally Jackson wanted to sell if they could I, or, or if you were seeing special demand? Also, we I know we have booksellers out there. What do you guys think of this McNally Jackson thing? Is there what part of the business model am I not we not um, seeing here? Uh, and we'll talk to you. Uh, well, I guess the next time we'll hear from me is a little. Uh, hey, you can go get the uh, uh, draft yeah. episode from there. So looking forward to that, Rebecca. Thank you for your truth-telling as always
2: (laughs) have a good one